Live Fitter and Longer with The Fitness Show, hosted by fitness expert, author, and TV personality, Fitz Kohler. She'll tell you why diets are dumb, supplements are snake oil, and the truth about how you can earn a lean, hard, pain-free, and athletic body. Now for our favorite bossy blonde, Fitz Kohler. I'm Fitz Kohler, your fitness expert and very noisy race announcer from fitness.com right there. And welcome to the Fitness Show. Today, I have one of the greatest guests I could wish for. Um, if you're watching the intro, which I altered for this special guest because I thought, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words. If you looked in on la that last frame, um, Catherine Switzer, the woman who registered legally to run the Boston Marathon in 1967, was under the radar that she was gasped, <gasps> a woman running the race, and race director showed up on the course, found her and said, uh-uh, you're getting off my course, girl, and uh, got a little rough and tough with Catherine and her running buddies, and thankfully, she decided to run faster, run forward, and finish that race, changing the face of uh, at running for women and probably a whole bunch of other sports as well. You know, it's interesting, my background, I competed as a full contact kickboxer for 10 years. And I never even thought who was first, who was the first woman to step into the ring and try to kick somebody in the head. There had to be two of them, right? There had to be two, I need to look that up. Um, but I can tell you that when I was fighting, I had that Olympic dream and I would have happily dropped my kicks so I could box in the Olympics, um, but there wasn't the opportunity. They just said no, no to women's boxing and, and thankfully that's changed. But someone had to fight for that ability and um, I don't even think Catherine thought she was showing up that day to fight for women's rights. She was just going to run a race and she's made an incredible career out of that day, that race, that moment, which was uh, dramatically captured uh, and images, and uh, it probably changed the way she would live her life. She has spent the rest of her days helping other women get fit, get active, build both mental and physical strength through sport. And as you know, that's what I'm all about as well. So Catherine Switzer is my guest. She's also, well, here, let me give you, she's also fast, right? So she was at one point the sixth fastest woman in the world, and she was the New York City marathon champion on a 100 degree day, which is pretty impressive. She's the author of several books, including Her Fear Fearless Run, Marathon Woman, Running and Walking for Women Over 40, and also the founder of 261 Fearless. Welcome to the Fitness Show, Catherine Switzer. Well, thank you so much, Fitz. It's so great being here. Thank you for having me. What a treat. So you are coming all the way from Wellington, New Zealand. Can you imagine? It's um, uh, it's it's astonishing. I my husband Roger Robinson and I live in both countries, in the United States and in New Zealand, and we just happened to be here last year when uh, the COVID epidemic hit, and we said, "Listen, it's crazy to go back to America. I mean, at least New Zealand has this pretty much in control." 
And um, we've been here nine, 19 months. Um, and, and you know what, because I got to tell you, we've been living in an alternative universe and we are so happy because we have been COVID free in this country since last August. That's so awesome. we've had road races, no masks, cafes, concerts, hugging people. Um, and I feel really sorry for the rest of the world. I mean, I'm not gloating. I'm just I'm just really grateful for being well, here. A, what an awesome place to be stuck. And uh, I'm in that one state in the Union, Florida, which has also been living pretty free for quite a while now. We're, we're leading the charge for the continental US, but yeah, New Zealand sounds pretty fancy and fantastic for a variety of reasons. Will you be back soon? Yeah, I hope so. I hope that we fly back maybe in September and be there in time for the Boston and New York City marathons uh, and anything else that eventuates. But um, the question is, can we get back to New Zealand easily? You know, even our Olympic team now, which is have gone to Tokyo, um, have to quarantine for two weeks when they get back. So um, not sure we really want to go into the quarantine, but we'll be with each other. It'd be OK. We'll write another book or something. <laughs> you guys are pretty productive. So two weeks of romance and writing. I can see it all. <laughs> now, this happened. Before we dig too deep, um, you know, there's a huge percentage of my audience is made of runners and probably does know your story, but then I have a bunch of just regular fitness fanatics. And um, apparently there's some people who just like me who don't exercise at all. Do you mind rehashing your uh, tale from your first Boston Marathon for us? Well, you know, Pips, this can be an endless story, like 45 minutes long, or, or we can we can do it in you know, four or five minutes. So let's do the shorter version so we can get in questions and everything else. Here's a story. Um, when I was 20 years old, I was a junior at Syracuse University and I wanted to run because there was no intercollegiate sports for women. And I asked the track coach if I could run on the men's cross country team. And he said, no, not officially, but if you want to come work out with us, it's fine. Thinking I'd never show up. So I showed up. The guys were wonderful. Okay. It's, that's the first big step. Men in running have always been wonderful to women who run. You know, I, I, it's, it's, we've been really blessed that way. But there was one guy in particular who was the, um, a volunteer coach. He was 50. He was ancient. <laughs> and, um, and he had run the Boston Marathon 15 times. And he put, took me under his wing because he felt so sorry for me. I wasn't anywhere near as fast as these guys. And they're all, you know, they're all scholarship guys. And, um, and so we began running together. And we realized that, that I was really good as we got longer and longer, but I couldn't go very fast. And, and so um, I told him that one day I wanted to run the Boston Marathon. Um, and he just sort of laughed. He said, well, a girl couldn't do it, couldn't possibly do it. And I said, well, why not? I mean, you know, I started with you at three miles and now we're up to 10. And he said, yeah, but 10 is not, you know, 26. And I said, I know that, but I mean, I can improve. And, and he said, no, 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 woman can't do it. And so I rattled off a bunch of names of women who had run a marathon, including Roberta Gibb, who'd run the Boston Marathon in 1966, jumped out of the bushes and ran. He didn't believe it. He said it was fake news. <laughs> and, and honestly, we argued so badly um, that finally he said, look, if you showed me in practice that you could do it, I'd be the first person to take you for heaven's sakes, mm -hmm. you know, realizing that, you know, no way. So anyway, we trained and trained and trained and trained. And the day came to run um, uh, 42 kilometers, 26 miles. And, and um, I didn't think it was going to be long enough. So I said, listen, let's make sure it's really long enough. So let's run another loop of, of five miles. And, and that was going to be a 31 mile run or a 50K run. Ultra. And ultra. And 
he said, well, you're kidding. And I said, no, no, come on, let's get, keep going. And we finished this workout and I threw my arms around him. I was so excited after 31 miles and he passed out. <laughs> and when, when he passed out, he came to and he said, women have hidden potential in endurance and stamina. And so that's when we really discovered kind of this, this other planet, which was that women really do have exceptional capacity and probably superior capacity in endurance and stamina than men. Um, and that's his, his bearing out now in ultra sports, as we see, finally. Um, and, and so he said, look, OK, we, you know, you, I'm taking you to Boston. So he was the one who insisted I officially register. He said, listen, this is a serious race. He says, this is like the Olympics. You don't go just jump into this. And I said, well, what do I do? And he helped me. Get, he had an entry form. He signed up. I signed up. We had to provide our AAU numbers in those days and travel permits, a medical certificate. We had to do all this paperwork. And we had to pay an entry fee. It was $2. That was a big deal. <laughs> and and uh, anyway, we, so, you know, I got all this stuff together and, you know, we got all ready to go. And at the very last minute, my boyfriend, who happened to be an Olympic aspirant in the hammer throw, weighing 235 pounds, decided he was going to go to Boston, too. I said, oh, come on, Tom, give me a break. And he said, well, if a girl can do it, I can do it. And I said, Tom, don't come to Boston. You've never trained more than a mile. He said, if a girl can do it, I can do it. He clearly thought it was a piece of cake. Anyway, so he came along with us. And uh, in the morning of the race, snowing and sleeting, horrible weather. And I was really disappointed because I had this really cute shorts and top. You know, I wanted to show off a little bit. And, um, and I had to wear my baggy gray sweats and gloves and everything. But I guess in, in the fullness of time, that was an advantage because all the men could tell I was a woman and were excited about it and welcoming me. But the officials were so busy everybody looked alike to them. We all look like refugees. And it was like 2018 at the Boston Marathon. Everybody wore everything they had. It was just terrible. Anyway, so the gun went off down the street. We went, and now I'm really relieved. At last, we're at Boston, going to Mecca. And um, a mile and a half into the race, the press truck came by and started taking pictures. And we were waving at the press truck. And um, right behind the press truck came the official's truck. And the officials um, uh, were the timers, the scorers, and a guy by the name of Jock Semple, the co-race director. And he was getting teased by journalists who were on that truck saying, there's a girl in your race. She's wearing numbers. And he just lost it. You know, he was an overworked race director. He was a product of his time. Anyway, right. <laughs> lost his temper. Boston was his baby. Thought I was making a you know, fool of him. Um, and he came up behind me. I didn't see him or he, I only heard him at the last minute because I heard his shoes coming fast. And I turned around really quick and he just grabbed me and screamed, get the hell out of my race and give me those numbers. He tried to rip off my bib numbers. And I just, I mean, I was just so shocked and blindsided. I jumped away from him and then he grabbed me again and pulled me back and tried to rip my numbers off the front and he missed my front. So he went for the ones on my back. I caught the corner of it. Uh, I actually have it here. Hold on, let me get it for you. Um, there he is. There's the number. That's pretty cool. Isn't that cool? Let's see. He, that's oh. what, oh, let me get this right. I get this. In. I I've got my cell phone here. This is. A, <laughs> I can't go which way it goes. Okay. <laughs> the club. There, there, there you go. Okay. Anyway. Uh, and my coach was screaming at him. Leave her alone. She's okay. I've trained her. And with that, my boyfriend took him out with a crossbody block and sent him flying and Arnie my coach said run like hell and down the street we went 
And the press truck stayed with me and was so mean and so aggressive. What are you trying to prove? You know, when are you going to drop out? When are you going to drop out? When are you going to drop out? Quit. When are you going to quit? You know, you're not serious. You can't be serious. Uh, and it was, you know, I was only 20. Uh, and uh, I just, this is a reward from my coach for proving to him in practice that I could do it. I wasn't there as a political person and, or making a statement, but I did the best thing at that moment. Instead of being afraid, I got really angry. And I just turned to my coach and I said, I am finishing this race on my hands and my knees if I have to. If I don't finish this race, nobody's going to believe a woman could do it. I know I can finish this race. And so I am going to finish this race. And he said, okay, 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 let's just slow down. Let's just get it together. And, um, and that's what we did. Finally, the press truck left and my decision was made. And, um, and it wasn't until I went over Heartbreak Hill, about 21 miles, that I realized, you know, there's no point in being angry at the official because he's just a product of his time. Right. Um, but, but, and then I got angry at women. I wondered, why aren't they here? Why don't they get this? And then I realized, you know, that they weren't there because they were afraid that things like this happened to them all the time, whether it was, you know, going into getting accepted into medical school or law school or, or, or even, you know, participating in sports or anything. And everybody, you know, told you, you weren't going to succeed and then made sure you didn't succeed. And of course, then to try, who's going to try, you get, you're afraid. And I thought, oh my God. It was it was my my feminist kind of eureka moment. Sure. And I said, I've, I've got to finish this race and then create opportunities for other women. And and then I also have to become a better athlete because because I was running a 420 marathon that day. And um, and I knew that that was going to get pilloried for a jogging time. And that's the next day. The race director said I could have walked it that fast. That pissed me off so much that I just trained my brains out. And when I trained down to a 251, he shut up. <laughs> but actually, here's what happened. You know, I got suspended, um, actually expelled from the Athletic Federation for running with men, for running more than a mile and a half, for running without a chaperone, and for running, and this is the worst, for running with men. I mean, that's so sexually loaded. like. What? Like, who else am I going to run with? <laughs> I don't know words. Amazing. Amazing. So it was a totally, um, um, I guess, maturing moment. It, you know, I often say I started the Boston Marathon as a girl and I finished it as a grown woman. And I really did. I learned so much from that moment. Um, and I also learned how to be really fearless because I knew what was going to happen afterwards was going to be a lot harder than what happened in the race. And, um, and I was going to stick to my guns. And, and eventually what has happened, and that's what this interview is going to be about today, I know, is what has happened is nothing less than the most miraculous social revolution. And for men and women, of, of women's achievement, empowerment, of belief in their success, of their capabilities, of reaching out, of of changing the world in terms of what women's sense of limitation is and is not. Um, running is just transformational for us. And I think everybody listening to the show realizes that it is quite miraculous. And I'll tell you something, you know, I'm 74 now. I've been running for 63 years and every day is a miraculous experience. It is like, I mean, it, it has given me the best things in my life. And um, I'm not at all afraid of saying that. And and every day is truly magic that I run. I love that. I love that. I feel a very kindred spirit with you. You're a can-do girl who 
invest in situations and wants to pay it forward and bring other people up. So, uh, so thank you for recapping that. I know you've told that story a billion times, <laughs> at least, but um, but it's special to hear it here. And so, my questions: You go through the finish line. Did they give you a medal? <laughs> they didn't have medals in those days. No, the okay. first. No, wait, it was really strange. The first 30 guys got a medal. Okay. Okay. Um, and then uh, I think the first 15 got trophies. And, and, then, and then the next, no, sorry. The first, yeah, the first, yeah, yeah, the first, it was the first 10, 10 got trophies and the next 20 got medals. And that was it. Um, oh, gosh, you know, Boston Marathon didn't even give medals until the late 80s. Oh, and they, they, yeah, they didn't. They didn't even have a measured course, a decently measured course to the middle ladies. <laughs> middle ladies. <laughs> when I when I ran in 1975, there were 5,000 people there. They said we've got to do something about these numbers. It's crazy. And I said, well, one thing you can do about these numbers is actually put out toilets. I mean, they had 11 toilets for 5,000 people. So you can imagine the people in Hopkinton didn't really like the race very much starting in their town because everybody was, you know, peeing in the bushes. So. And right. the rose bush. <laughs> I said, "This is pretty simple, you guys. You want to have a race? You got to do some organization." Anyway, well, no, the Boston Marathon now, and and the BAA is a transformed organization, a wonderful, wonderful organization. Dave McGilvery, the race director, unbelievable man, what he can do, um, and that race is impeccably organized. So, um, it's 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 been a wonder to see it grow and mature. Uh, in, in, in all ways that the sport has. Absolutely. Well, I'll get to experience that this October. I'm going to be running from the start to the finish of the Boston Marathon. I'll see, I'll see you there. It looks like I'm going to be coming back for it. So I'll, I'll look forward to seeing you, Fitz. Good. Great. It'll be my first. And uh, yeah, I may, I may put up numbers that uh, Jacques may mock, but <laughs> I'm going to cross it. <laughs> Jacques may mock. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I think it's amazing. Like one of the shocking, bizarre things about you running Boston was that they they actually changed the rules and made it illegal for women to run for five years post. And I just, it, it's ghastly and amazing to look back and think that people thought that way. I know, I know. So people say, well, wait a minute, you had to cheat on signing that entry form. I said, no, I signed with my initials, but it wasn't to defraud them. That's how I signed my name for two reasons. One, because my dad misspelled my name on Catherine on my birth certificate. It's always misspelled. And of course, I was working as a journalist and I had been reading J.D. Salinger, E.E. E. Cummings and T.S. Eliot. So long about age 13, I started signing my name K.D. Switzer. OK, so that that was how I signed the form. Um, and but the form had nothing about gender on it. And and the entry form, uh, that's what I mean. The entry form had nothing about gender on. And actually, then my coach and I went through the rule book, the AAU rule book, and there was nothing about gender in the marathon in the rule book. So the idea of Boston Marathon up to that point being male only was one of those traditions that, oh, come on, everybody knows it's a male only race. And also, don't forget, Roberta Gibb had jumped out of the bushes um, the year before with no problems. And so so I said, OK, well, she's already done it. And, then, and it was my coach who insisted I register. He said, you know, this is a serious race. you got to pay your entry fee. you got to do this. So I was just, funnily enough, obeying the rules. And then afterwards, the entry form came out for the next five years and said, 
this is a men's only event in boldface type. And by the way, um, I was expelled because I had fraudulently entered the race supposedly, but other men had signed their names with their initials. And almost all the officials on the, on the program were using their initials. So I thought, oh my God, <laughs> this is crazy. Yeah, it's just it's such an interesting sign of the times. And I do think it's very generous of you to say, well, he's, he's a product of his generation. And there's a lot of things that go that date back that are kind of, you know, confusing. But we last night we spoke and uh, I, we, we logged on together, we made sure we're going to get on the studio somewhere. But we talked about um, the Tour de France, that there is no Tour de France for women. You know, my uh, good friend, Kath Catherine Bertine has been campaigning for this for so long and I don't get it. I really absolutely don't get it. And I think the people listening would be absolutely appalled. I mean, they, the men go by so fast and the women would go by so fast. The difference in time, by the way, in the Pelotons is only like three or four minutes. So it's hardly slower. Mm -hmm. I submit that women's running in the Olympics, in the Olympic marathon in Boston, New York is, is as interesting a story as the men's. Um, we, we provide an interesting dynamic. Honest to God, I, as I told you last night, if I were the president of Fortune 500 company, I would grab that women's cycling Tour de France and, <laughs> and, and create something really magical about it. It's all through the countryside. I mean, you're, you're not exactly taking up space. <laughs> yeah, just Yeah, why would they not do one and the other? What other gaps do you see within women's sports that I'm not acknowledging yet? Oh, Fitz, I mean, sorry, there, there are millions and millions of gaps. Yeah. Um, and, and they all have to do with our experience of understanding and watching, okay? So, for instance, I mean, I go back a long way, all right? Um, I can remember when Billie Jean King uh, and, and co. started women's professional tennis. And they just got hooted out and said, you know, nobody's going to pay to watch women's tennis. Are you crazy? This is stupid. Equal pay for the women. Well, now, do you, is not women's tennis arguably as totally interesting, compelling and, view, and top viewing as men's? It is. It sure. is. Okay. I mean, and then you take a woman like Serena Williams. You don't want to miss that game, man. <laughs> really. Women's soccer, okay, is, is only, only beginning, in my view, to emerge. And mm -hmm. I love it. I like it much more than men's soccer. Why? I don't like all the histrionics in men's soccer and that diving and, oh, my fake, you know. <laughs> it's not that the women play a cleaner game. It's that I can actually watch the strategy better. Right. Um, and, I, and I like the continuousness of the game and, and it doesn't keep stopping and, you know, fouling and goals. I mean, you know, penalty kicks and stuff. Uh, it, it just goes. So but you know what? They're different sports in a way. Men's right. is about speed and power. Women's is about maybe the finesse, the strategy, the endurance. Um, and and it, you know, earlier on in the, this discussion, I said that women have more endurance and stamina than men. And it's true, you know, we're beginning to win the ultras, six-day races, um, three-day events, 24-hour runs. Oh, in Auckland last week, two weeks ago, we had we had this big event called Last Man Standing. And it, 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 basically, you run until you drop, okay? And okay. for the last two years, a woman has won the Last Man Standing. Um, so, so how does this translate into a lot of other things? It doesn't mean one athlete's better than the other. Right. It means we're different. But if you look at the history of, Olympic sport, for instance, uh, 3,000 years, roughly, 
of Olympic sport. It's all been about speed, power and power and strength. Women, right. I mean, were in the beginning yeah. even forbidden to watch the Olympic Games. So the fact that we're in them is <laughs> quite right. landmark. But but we don't have we don't have yet a lot of events which do, um, give us opportunities for our unique capabilities. And so we've got to create those. And that's one reason why I fought so hard to um, to get the women's marathon in the Olympic Games. We, we a lot of us were fighting for this, but we needed to prove to the International Olympic Committee that we deserve to be there. And the way to do that, I felt, was to create so many opportunities for women only and running around the world that we could present the data and statistics to the IOC. And we did. Eventually, um, with the Avon Cosmetics Company, um, I organized races in 27 countries and five continents, which wow. far exceeded the Olympic requirement. But at the same time, we had to get medical data to prove, you know, that a woman's uterus was not going to fall out if she ran a long distance. Fantastic, yeah. <laughs> quite, but quite the contrary. I mm. mean, she's better. She's probably better at the marathon than she is at the shot put, if you see what I mean, um, or, or the 100 meter hurdles. So, so it's, it, it is about what we can offer. And I think, um, an interesting thing, I, uh, I, I don't, I'm not showing off here, but um, uh, night before last I spoke at the UN um, the Council of Human Rights. Yes. And I said, because it was a kickoff on how human rights and sports can work together. And it was done on the eve of the Olympics, the Tokyo Olympics. And I said, do sports always have to be the same in the Olympics? No, it's a, it's a living, breathing thing. What, what is to keep us from having, let's say, um, a 24 hour run or a six day race maybe with half the team is men and half the team is women. Yeah. I mean, that kind of diversity and um, inclusion we see in a road race all the time. So it would, I think it could bring really great dynamic to the Olympic games. So we just have to think out of the box some more and we have to encourage women um, and men to think mm -hmm. out of the box and to create events that are really great. Running has done amazing things in terms of its creativity. So, well, but we still have a long way to go. So I'm going to pause for two things. A, I'm so sorry to all of our people that have been sending in comments. I've been laser focused on Catherine and not seeing that people are commenting and going, hey, I love you. So Rudy started as a girl, finished as a woman, as good as it gets. I agree. Um, so there's some love coming in and I'm not going to ignore you guys anymore. So um, there's some hot topics within sports I'd like your thoughts on. So there's, you know, the wage gap. Um, and I'm all for equal pay, equal opportunity, but the men's sports simply bring in a greater profit. Where do oh. you stand on that? Oh, well, I mean, I mean, My it's, it's almost unreal. It's almost unreal, you know, what, what top football players are getting around the world, whether it's gridiron football in the United States or it's with the, with the well, European championships going on right now, right? Um, those guys are making godzillion dollars. Um, okay, I don't resent people earning a lot of money when they do something well. I really don't. But to say that women don't deserve it because they're not um, interesting or they don't play an interesting game, it's, it's a matter of time and exposure. So if, if we could get more pay and more sponsorship, people actually take you seriously when you get paid well. That's really interesting. Before the horse type thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so when when we make it happen, um, then then they get taken seriously. So 
I do, I do, um, and I believe hugely in corporate sponsorship because you can't ask you can't ask governments to keep paying for it. But I also find it's not just a disparity with women; it's a disparity with poor people. I mean, poverty, uh, religious restriction, social restriction—all these things are holding us back enormously. And there is so so much talent out there. I mean, talent really is everywhere. It just needs an opportunity. And um, and so. Again, I would love to see not these players necessarily give back any of their money, but they could easily afford to do a tax write-off by creating um, different kinds of programs and scholarships and community outreach um, to uh, create uh, different opportunities, create sports, create the events. Um, and that would be really cool. And what a legacy that would be. I mean, I found, I found when I... Uh, sat down one day, I had the opportunity to create the Avon program. I had a very cheerful afternoon with myself because I knew that meant there's no way I was going to have the time to train for a marathon um, and, and run it the way I wanted to run it. And, um, and I said, you know what, you've always wanted to be a jogger. <laughs> not, have, not have to run and prove yourself all the time. Um, and I threw myself into that career and realized this, this sponsorship you know, is going to change the face of women's running and therefore sports. And it did. So, so there are many, many opportunities out there. And there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of corporate money that could be better spent, I think, on that rather than pouring it all in to, let's say, soccer, where maybe you get one advertising hoarding around the stadium. How about creating a whole community program so a kid grows up loyal to you? I mean, that that is fantastic. Right. Just, but but sometimes people just want to write the check and they don't want to do the work. <laughs> Now, do you think there's anyone, for example, in the WNBA who should be making the same amount that LeBron makes? Um, do I think that? Right. Yes, in, a, in an optimistic, ideal world, sure. <laughs> sure, sure. But the, the point is, is they, they need to attract the audience. And in soccer, the women need to fill the stadium. Yes, but right. they will do that if they continue to get the exposure. And if and and if it's and if the events are pumped up, it's it's been proved time and time again. Everybody I, said said nobody would watch the women's marathon in the Olympic Games. Are you kidding? There were ninety five thousand people. Every seat seat in the stadium was filled. <laughs> yeah, and when the women's uh, when our teams go to World Cup, I mean they're the hottest ticket oh. in the world, but they just don't fill up the stadiums during their pro leagues. Which is yes, well then that that's a shame on the community. The community needs to to get there and support, and and, and advertising needs to go into that. And 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 you need to you know get buses out there for the kids to get there. That kind of stuff. You know, yeah. give them give them the wherewithal. So um, Dennis Lebman wants to know, how were you able to make money from running back in the days? I didn't. You didn't. We, we weren't allowed to. You know, I mean, I was scrupulous about not taking money because um, the big guns and money were taking it what we call under the table. We, we had something called amateur status. We were um, we were amateur athletes and, and therefore you had a job and it was shameful to take money. And if you did take money, you were going to get kicked out of the organization. And so, for instance, when I was banned after running the Boston Marathon, that was that's like being excommunicated from the church. OK. And and when when um, but I when I got back into the running, a lot of sponsors came to me and said, we'd like you to wear you know, my, our name on your shirt when you run the Boston Marathon. I said, no way, I can't do that. Because if I was found to take money, um, I would I would lose my amateur status. And it was a huge fight. Um, and you guys got to do your history here. There's a lot, lot written about this. Roger Robinson is particularly good on this. Um, 
I'm partial to him because he's my husband. But anyway, <laughs> read, read about how runners themselves took control of the sport and uh, helped it to go pro because that was a huge, huge controversy. All of us who wanted to go pro were risking our, our status of going to the Olympic Games. So it was a choice. A lot of those athletes had to make that choice. And then they set up their athletic federation, set up trust funds and et cetera, et cetera. And finally, then they said, this is ridiculous. Well, let's just make running professional like everything else. And then that professional athletes, as you know, now can go to the Olympic Games. That's right. Right. Yeah. It's, um, I remember when I was in grad school at the University of Florida, my master's was sports administration and we had a course on the Olympic Games. And that's about when I started fighting. And I, you know, that amateur status would, for the love of sport, that really resonated with me. And I remember making the choice when I was fighting not to go pro just because I didn't want to put a price tag over my head. I just thought, I really enjoy this. And if I have to go into the ring worrying about my mortgage, that might not, uh, that might take away some of the enjoyment. So I, I yeah. think there's something special about the amateur status. It's not the only way to go, but um, but yeah, it's certainly nice to make a living off the sport. We love well, I, I must say we, we were really, really hamstrung. I mean, um, read any book about Steve Prefontaine, all right? Here was a young man who was, one of the one of the fastest 5,000 meters runner in the world, and um, and he was filling the stadium at University of Oregon. People were paying big bucks to go see him. Television rights, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And he's living in a trailer, and he said, "Look, what's wrong with this picture? You know, they're coming here to see me. I deserve, you know, an, an income here or a piece of the gate or something." Oh my God! The press took him apart like he was the bad old boy, oh smart ass kid. What are you talking about? And the press was really always trying to get athletes and and um, and find out that they had taken. Oh, there was this wonderful athlete called Wes Santee, and he was he was going to be one of the first guys to break the four, four minute mile, and he he had taken it was a bribe actually. He had taken um, a gift of a prize that was you you had, couldn't take a gift that was worth more than twenty dollars or something like that, and somebody had said the first prize is this camera, and so he took the prize, the camera. Well, then somebody revealed that the camera was actually worth forty dollars, and they kicked him out of the AAU wow. because he said you're a professional. And here was a guy who was living off the sniff of an oily rag. Oh, I mean, I, I mean, I cannot tell you how our athletes suffered. Oh, my God. I was working three jobs and putting a husband through grad school when I was training 100 miles a week. It was a very, very difficult time in my life. Um, I wrote a lot about it in my book, Marathon Woman. Um, everybody thinks that that book is, you know, about running, but it's actually not about running. It's about the struggle and, uh, and about the prices you pay. Um, and and I, I just think how much better my life would have been if, you know, I mean, we couldn't even afford gas for our cars to go to graces and stuff. So really ridiculous. So have, I am very, very happy about what, what the athletes can do now. You have so much interesting history in your head. I love it. I could talk to you for a hundred hours. Kathy. All right. We got another targeting question from Dennis. What are your thoughts about biological males competing in women's track and field events? Do you think there should be a third category? You know what? First of all, I don't have enough science to answer that question well. Let me, let me tell you two or three things, though. First of all, I am delighted that we can have this conversation. I mean, isn't it great? Sport is for everybody. 
You know, I believe that everybody on the planet deserves the opportunity to participate in sports. All right. Regardless of gender, color, race, religion, whatever. All right. That is very, very important for me. Um, but um, we also have to keep it fair. And I don't have the science right now at hand to do that. We're working on it really hard. Um, there are two things that, that bother me a little bit. One is that I really, really hate the fact that, especially in the United States, there are a lot of politicians who are uh, jumping on this cause and creating this incendiary discussion and creating divisions and hatred. I hate that. This is a time. This is the second thing. Let's not be emotional. Let's not be crazy about this. Let's sit down and talk about it. We're smart people. We can figure this out. We can figure this out. And, um, but I, I, again, I just have to smile and say, oh my God, I, you know, you know, I'm running in a race uh, and I don't, I don't, the guy next to me is a different race and different color doesn't speak like my language. And I can't tell the gender of the person on my right. And you know what? We're hugging each other, you yeah. know, at the end of the race and, and motivating each other. And, uh, you know, we have the ability to be diverse and inclusive and respectful. Yeah. So, um, I, I, God, I can remember when, you know, back when I was first started running, one of the big fears for a woman was, oh my God, maybe you'll turn into a lesbian, you know, <laughs> like, like, oh my God, who cares, you know? So we've come such a, we've come such a long way. I know we can get through this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm with you. I want everybody to be able to participate. I mean, health and fitness is for everybody. I always say fitness is unpolitical. I want the Republicans and the Democrats and the in intermediate people. I want them all to exercise and eat rights. And so I'm hoping people come up with solutions that are, are fair and suit um, the best interests of everybody. Yeah, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough, it's a tough, tough situation, right? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's difficult. Um, sure. We, but things are difficult. I mean, create, convincing the International Olympic Committee that women were capable of running a marathon was difficult. So we'll get there. We'll get there. But we have to be able to sit down and discuss it and make and get the science and get it, get it sorted out. There's room. There's room on the track for everybody. There's room on the road for everybody. Yeah, you know what, that's one of my favorite things about our races is that, you know, it's the unifying thing. 26.2 miles or 3.1 miles is the same no matter who you are, no matter where you came from. You have to left, right, left, right, left, right the whole way. And uh, yeah, we can all do that together. I love, there's a quote I pulled up for you. Uh, and this this is why I love what I do. This is why I love standing at a finish line. Because you said, if you're losing faith in human nature, go out and watch a marathon. And I, I it's ab almost absurd that people pay me to do this work because it's so fulfilling. It's just, it's the best thing ever, isn't it? Yeah, I'm glad you're getting paid. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, I, am. I, I earn my living and I provide a great service to my event. <laughs> but that that quote that quote um, is actually I get credit for the quote, but the quote is actually uh, was my husband's, and and it was from the book we wrote together called Twenty Six Point Two Marathon Stories, and um, and the next thing we knew, we saw it on T-shirts. You know, <laughs> we went to a marathon someplace, and people were walking around saying, "Here's your shirt with my quote on it, your quote on it," and I said, "Well, that's nice. Where's my percentage?" <laughs> no, that's fine. It's fine, you know. <laughs> All right, Pretty has a great question. What effect, if any, do you think having no spectators in Tokyo might have on the Olympic competition? <sighs> I, you know what? My husband and I were talking about this at breakfast this morning, and I, 
I said, oh, this poor people. I just, um, you know, for some, it's going to be great because for, for especially a, a beginning athlete, a young athlete to walk into that stadium with, you know, 90 or 100,000 people in is, is you, you just can't even catch your breath. It's so overwhelming. Um, and so for some of them, it's going to be good for others. It's going to be disappointing because uh, it's their big day. You know, it's their big moment and it's, and it deserves to be, um, showcased. Uh, I just hope they just fill the, the uh, stands with cardboard cutouts of people or something, <laughs> or artificial crowd noise or something, but yeah, I mean, look, here's, here's the other point. Let's, let's be optimistic as much as we can about this. You got to hand it to the Japanese for, for going. Well, some people don't. Some people think the race, I mean, the Olympics should be canceled completely. I don't think that that's going to accomplish too much right now. Um, it's just going to disappoint a lot of people. A lot of work has been put into this. Let's give them a hand for trying to be creative and making it happen. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and these athletes don't need another year out of competition or worse, the cancellation. So anything that gets them to their start lines or on their courts and mats. Um, it's it's a win, don't you think? I think so. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I mean, already a, a great number of athletes have lost out already because, you know, last year was going to be their final year and they were going to retire or whatever, or they passed their peak or they gotten pregnant or whatever. Yeah. You know, life has been diabolical with this pandemic in so many ways. Great. We've, we've, great. we've done our best. We've really done our best. <laughs> so um, I'm going to left turn and I want to I want you to talk about 261 Fearless because you okay. so much work to help women. Um, build mental and physical strength through running and walking. And I love that. Thank you. Well, who would have imagined, you know, I did this bib number before. I'm going to try to hold it up correctly now. Let's see if I can do this. There it is. How about that? There we go. And you can see the rip now on the corner. All right. So that's the, num that's the number that Jock Semple tried to rip off of me in the race. And oddly... I only thought, of, I never thought of that bib number, you know, for 50 years, uh, 40 years anyway. Um, it was three digits. And then suddenly people began writing to me and emailing me and sending me pictures of themselves getting ready to run a race. And they'd have their bib number on for Boston or New York or whatever on the front. And then they'd turn around and then they'd have, you know, 261 um, on their back or they'd ink it on their arm. Or then they started sending me pictures of their tattoos with 261. Well, honest to God, I got the creeps because I said, what does this mean? You know? And, um, oh God, and all the numerologists weighed in. <laughs> and you know what is very simple? People were telling me that all their lives they'd been marginalized, that, that people said they didn't count or they never felt worthwhile. And then they started to run and started to feel like we feel fearless. You feel fearless, invincible. And that it changed their lives. And they were doing that as a tribute. And I was so touched by that. But then my friends and I sat down. And I said, what are we going to do with this? I said, oh, well, I'm too old to start another revolution. They said, no, you're not. You're not. <laughs> well, we got to do something with it. And what we did is we created a nonprofit called 261 Fearless. Because everybody uses the word fearless in this. Because running makes you feel fearless. And basically what we have now... And we continue. It are a series of community clubs where uh, us fearless women will reach out to somebody who is fearful um, or somebody who's afraid to take the first step or somebody says they can't do something and they can't run a woman. Um, it has to be women only, by the way, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But anyway, women around the world 
and get them to take that first step. It's always the hardest thing is to get your shoes on and get out the door. We all know that. Yet if you have a community that's waiting for you that is non-judgmental, we don't care about your color, your age, your size, your ability. We just want you to come out and get fit. Take an hour a week for yourself. That's all. Just get away from all the other crap in your life and come out for an hour a week. And um, it's really catching on and giving the women that empowerment of if you can take one step, you can take two. If you can do 1K, you can do 5K, you know, that kind of thing. Um, no, it's not competitive. But also now we've created an educational component with this. So women can learn to start a club. They can learn to start a nonprofit. They can learn to coach and train other women. Um, they can take a leadership role. Eventually, you know, they could even create a club that, that um, a nonprofit where they, they actually earn, you know, can, can make it like a small business, a nonprofit business, helping other people, reaching out in the community. Um, and um, so we think the educational component is extremely, extremely important because the two steps, you, when you become empowered and you get an education, that means you start, con you can take control of your own life. Uh, honestly, uh, there are more, more, most women, most women in the world still live in a fearful situation. That's a, it's a terribly sad thing, but it's true. And, and she, you know, we always think, oh, well, she's in a different country from me or She's in the depths of, of uh, the, the, the jungle or in Afghanistan or something. Uh, honestly, she could be your next door neighbor. And, and you never know what demons await. So we just reach out and it's, it's, been, it's become really quite amazing. And we have a very, very good training program. And I would encourage everybody to, to join us um, with two things right now. Um, go, go to 261fearless.org. Read the website, you know, uh, 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 sorry about bouncing this camera. Around. Um, um, it, take our training course. Think about starting a club in your own neighborhood. Um, the other thing is we do, we, we uh, do a lot of uh, fundraising uh, with our charity bibs in the Boston, New York City, Marine Corps and Chicago marathons. And I am happy to announce that we have a surprise bonus of about five bibs right now available for the Boston Marathon in October. So if anybody wants to join us and raise money, you still have time to be ready for October the 11th, and we will help you on the way to make that happen. So go to 261fearless.org and come and run with us in October also at Boston. It'd be great. You know what? And, and, and Fitz, you're running. I am. So you know you're making history because when, again, will the Boston Marathon ever be held in October? Never. No. Right? <laughs> I'm actually looking to see if some of my friends take some of your bibs. They may be able to give me a piggyback ride once I head home. <laughs> they and they're like, come on, Fitz. So, um, gosh, it would be great. I love having the Noisy Nation out there and our friends. So, yeah, great opportunity to run Boston. Do it for Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, can you imagine how it felt? We essentially kicked off 261 Fearless globally at the 2017 Boston Marathon. And I had announced that I was going to run it on my 50th anniversary. Um, it was a really good time, I was 70. And it was also um, the year we were really at last 50-50 in the Boston Marathon, men and women. It was spectacular. And we were given a number of charity bibs. And in the end, we had 125 people on our charity team. Um, it, they were like um, 118 women and seven men. We wanted seven men because that was the um, number of guys who helped me out at the Boston Marathon in, in 1967. And um, 
and we had a ball, but they raised enough money to start um, 261 Fearless globally. Uh, and we are so grateful for them and everybody else who has been helping us along the way, including you and Vince Serralo at Boston Buddies. He introduced us, Vince. And yeah. So, yeah. Great, great group of people. I remember seeing all the coverage of you and your group in 2017. Very impressive. I think that's when I started doing the big deep dive into Catherine Switzer. I was like, I gotta learn more. And for anyone who hasn't done it yet, go to, so I, I've shared the link in all platforms where we're broadcasting, but 261fearless.org. And she just told the story, but um, she actually has personally written it out herself. And of course she has books that will do an even deeper dive on the subject, but you are a very interesting person. You could just, we could really spend a lot of time just talking about Catherine Switzer for a long time. What in, in in the sorry in my book or what are you talking about? No, now? just in general. You're so interesting. Your history is so. Oh. interesting. <laughs> no, I thought I thought you. I was interested in talking about myself. I find talking about myself like the least interesting thing to talk about. <laughs> You've got has been has been an amazing life. I must say. So, um, do you see more marathons in your future? Oh yeah, I hope to run Tokyo next year. And in 2022, um, I, I I don't know. I know it's a little cheesy, but I, I do. I would love to have the big six in my back pocket. I, you know, I've tried. I've been around the world uh, over and over again to attend all these marathons and sometimes work as a journalist or a TV commentator. Um, but I hadn't run them myself. So I started knocking them off. And, and Tokyo was going to be on my list for 2021. And uh, for, unfortunately, it's not going to happen, really. Um, and but and I also got slightly, not slightly, quite injured, and I'm coming out of that. So hopefully, I'll be ready for 2022. And believe it or not, after broadcasting it several times, I and, and being there a lot, I have never run Chicago. So <laughs> Carrie Carrie Pinkowski is going to have to deal with me in, in a couple of years. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, yeah, I don't think it's cheesy at all to want to do those uh, the World Marathon Challenge challenge or, or the the big six world marathon challenge Dennis Lebman just put on do you have any interest in seven marathons in seven days on seven continents no my credit card can't take it <laughs> I bet you get a sponsor I bet Avon would jump right on board and be like hey we got your back Catherine um, besides Boston I'm going to remove that because that's a very special place for you what are your favorite um, races you've run Boston has always been my favorite. I've run it nine times. Um, I love it because it's so important to my history and the course itself is, is interesting. I thought London was spectacularly fun as well. I've run, Berlin is really terrific. Athens was, um, it wasn't a fun race at all because it's very, very difficult, but uh, memorably the 2,500th anniversary of, the, of the, the Battle of Marathon to be there and to run Athens on that particular marathon day was, was really very, very, very special. Um, I would, I would say I, I get as much fun sometimes from running a really local dopey little race in the countryside um, where it's like going back in the sixties and people just sort of show up and they, they have their number magic marker on the back of their hand and, and then they, ha and they have to get their own time when they come across the finish line and, then, then you you go into the old old schoolhouse and have a cup of tea or something. I I, I love those things. But yeah. if I had to choose, yeah, if I had to choose any one race that was my absolute favorite, it would it would always be Boston. 
Mm, wow, well, I can't wait to figure out why. I'm going to go see for myself. Um, well, you know, you're going to be surprised. I mean, it starts in a little village um, and you wind through the streets of the suburbs and you know, everybody acts like there's an authority along the side of the course. And at 10 miles, they're going to tell you you only have two miles to go. <laughs> right. I'm really people bring out my kickboxing skills. It's interesting. Some people are like, get a drone or, or watch drone footage. And I actually want to be surprised. I'm the girl who I don't, I also don't watch trailers for movies I'm interested in seeing. If I know I'm going to watch a movie, I'm not going to watch the trailer. So I've heard a lot about Heartbreak Hill and I've heard a lot about the start. And I've actually been to the finish line just working in Boston. But yeah, I'm looking forward to all the surprises along the way. Okay, we'll, we'll bring a pair of gloves. Okay. All right. Because okay. it could be, well, it could be really cold. You don't know what the weather's going to be like. And, and no matter what, gloves are always, cotton gloves are always very, very handy because, you know, you can get away with wearing less if your hands are warm. So, and, you know, it's always good for sweat and snot too. <laughs> I'm a snot. Um. <laughs> Get invitations, LA Marathon, and of course, we'd love to see you at Big Sur Marathon. Have you done Big mm. Sur? No, I haven't done Big Sur. I, you know, it, it's it's beautiful. I know I've I've been over the course. It's really quite beautiful. Um, I must say, I'm a little spoiled being here in New Zealand because almost all of New Zealand is like Big Sur, so um, it's really quite magic. But yeah, that's on the list someday. Good, good, good. good. I know that so I, I i tell you what i know you've been welcome to a lot of finish lines i will make sure the greatest welcome of all time comes out of my mouth if you run one of my races great i would love to do that all right Catherine, are you ready for the lightning round sure i'm not sure what that is but I'll... a bunch of random questions that you get to answer fairly quickly or slowly if you want okay here i go all right what's your favorite movie Sleepless in Seattle. Oh, good choice. <laughs> what TV show are you watching right now? I don't watch TV. Love it. I haven't watched TV for, we don't even have it connected. <laughs> that means you don't get the horrible news either, which is. Perfect. You know what? And it's always biased. I listen to Radio New Zealand, the BBC. Um, yeah. I, I don't. I, it's incredible how much time you save when you don't watch TV. Yes. But, you know, we're, we're thinking about what are we going to do now for the Olympics? We're going to have to get some kind of TV thing in there. I do watch sports. Okay. I, not, not religiously, but, I'm, you know, Monday I'm going to watch, you know, England and Italy. <laughs> Soccer. Sports is different than TV. That doesn't count. Okay. Um, who was your first celebrity crush? Margot Fontaine, the ballerina, um, very, very amazing ballerina, English, and then she married a South American. Um, she took something so difficult and made it so beautiful and it inspired me because everybody said the marathon is so gruesome and uh, gross. I thought it could be beautiful. So yeah, I thought if Margot could do it with ballet, I could do it with marathon. <laughs> There's probably not a lot of snot in ballet. Yeah, but there's a lot of vomit and blood. Believe me, it is tough. It is, it is inhuman, really. Go backstage. You're <laughs> <laughs> such a great vocabulary. Inhuman. Um, what is your favorite genre of music? Oh golly, well, classical, I guess. Really, I mean, I love Mozart and I love opera. I absolutely adore opera. But I don't know. I mean, it, you can give me. Um, 
<laughs> country western sometimes, and I'm a sucker for it. <laughs> all right, all right. Um, who would your favorite musical artist be? Well, I mean, uh, Amadeus Mozart would, would probably be my favorite artist. Uh, Chuck Berry. It's a great choice. <laughs> Mozart and Chuck Berry. Perfect. I'm a sucker for Chuck Berry. <laughs> Uh, now, if you were to run a marathon and you could only listen to one song over and over and over again, what would it be? Well, first of all, I never listen to music when I run. I mean, I don't want any devices. I mean, I, I, I got, I'm kicking and screaming to, to wear a watch, all right? Um, I, I, I would love, I'd love to go naked. I don't want anything. I mean, that's what I love about running is just nothing. And so I, the idea of even listen, I love music along the way because that's fun because people are having a great time with it. It's but if I had to listen to one song over and over and over again, um, uh, right back where we started from by 19, 1975. Um, God, come on, I know. A nightingale. Uh, that's a great not Florence song. Nightingale. That's a, that's it was such a great song, and and it was my it was a song. Every time I heard that before I started a practice or a race, I knew I was going to have a good day. That's a great song. I like that a lot. Are you a good dancer? No, I'd like to think I am. I used to be for about two years, but now I'm not anymore. I, I, as I've gotten older, I seem to have gotten clumsy and lost a lot of balance, and now I, I kind of look ridiculous. So I have to say, no, I'm not a good dancer. Okay. okay. You prefer sweeter. I know a lot of a lot of guys in my past would say that's not true, but anyway. well, <laughs> their opinion counts. Their opinion counts. Um, do you prefer sweet or salty? Salty. What's I'm, the hard? Don't I don't even buy potato chips. Oh, I, I you know you come in from a run. I I'll have a bag of potato chips before I even have a glass of water. I mean it's just stupid. So I don't even buy them. <laughs> I'm salty too. I used to like sweet. Now it's all salty all the time. And I have stopped off a few times at McDonald's to get French fries, which is mm. that's, <laughs> right? that's illegal. Isn't it illegal that people do that? I don't know. <laughs> Someone's going to arrest me one day. Um, what is your favorite healthy food? Avocado. Yummy. What's your favorite yeah. unhealthy food? Well, I don't know if people think pasta is unhealthy. I think it's quite healthy. But I mean, pasta, I, I eat pasta three times a week. So I would say that. And I suppose my favorite unhealthy food, and again, it, this has good good nutrition in its in a way, but I mean, I love ice cream, you know. What butter, pecan, butter pecan ice cream because it has the salty nuts in it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Have you tried salted caramel? Yeah, oh. I, I could do. I could do that too. Really good. I have actually had salted caramel chocolate chip cookies, which once again, probably illegal, but very delicious. Um, my my other favorite unhealthy food, I suppose it's unhealthy, but I find it life saving is coffee. I just yeah, I've yeah. tried to li limit myself to one big mug a day, but it's not easy. Tea. Um, <laughs> where to go? Oh, besides running and walking and hiking, anything on your list? What is your favorite exercise? Um, I, I like a kind of um, Pilates um, that, I, that I make up myself, which are both strength exercises and, and, and yoga exercises. 
and and I love just I mean I several times a day I just go lie on the living room floor and stretch and and do these exercises just because they're as relaxing as they are good for me. Absolutely, very valuable strength training. Yeah, I've I've I'm incredible. I'm incredibly supple, and I and I know it's because I I've done that all my life. And 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 you know sometimes people come over to chat or something, and and after a while I'm on the floor stretching and talking to them at the same time. And I I hope they don't think it's rude, but I it's like you know, I'm multitasking. <laughs> you know, walking the walk, I bet they probably go home and do what you do. They're probably like, well, Catherine's on the ground stretching. I should do that too. So I would love to think that. I don't think so though. <laughs> <laughs> and then my question is what's next? Oh man, that is always a tough thing. Um, uh, I'm ridden, riddled with guilt uh, that during lockdown, I didn't write another book. Um, but I mean, I had so many other things to do and so many, honestly, the, my speaking opportunities have gotten enormous now be, because of Zoom. Yeah. And it's, it's really, and I don't know about you, but I mean, the, the method of communication now has changed our lives so completely um, that it makes you more accessible um, and therefore, you know, in a more demand. So I've been doing a tremendous number of speeches on Zoom. So I haven't, haven't written my book, but um, that book. But there is another important book uh, that, that's there, and I'm going to try to get that done. In the meantime, however, here's some interesting fun news, which is Marathon Woman. Here, I'll give a copy of it in case you haven't seen it. Uh, Ta-da, the Marathon Woman, right? Beautiful. Uh, uh, that's the fourth edition copy of it. Uh, it's being made into a, a feature film. So <gasps> we're all going to have a really fun time. Hopefully in a couple of years, maybe, maybe less, maybe 18 months. That's so, absolutely a big what's next. That's huge. That's a, that's a very big what's next. And I think probably to a certain extent, you know, my not writing another book has been, I'm trying to clear the decks and get my life organized, you know, trying to get closets clean, trying to get through photographs and piles and piles of paper, get the decks cleared. Because um, I think when the film happens, you know, um, my life is going to be taken over by it for a while. Absolutely. Do you have any guests who will play you in the movie? No, I was making so many jokes about uh, Margot Robbie, but uh, she's a great choice. Uh, no, I, it's not going to happen. She she read the script and loved it, but she's booked for five years. So by that time, she's going to be too old. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. So someone, someone young, someone also with spectacular eyes. You have such beautiful eyes. Oh, my eyes are so painful right now. I had my cataract, I had cataract surgery and I just haven't gotten adjusted to it. It's just been very difficult for me, but that's another story. They're like glass. They're absolutely beautiful. Are they green or blue or across between? Yeah, they're kind of a limpid blue. <laughs> they used to be this color blue, but anyway. Boston blue, perhaps. perhaps Boston blue. <laughs> well, Catherine, thank you. Thank you so much. This has been an absolute treat. I, um, I wish you lived closer. I'd invite you over. You're a fun girl. That's okay. We can communicate like this and, you know, we can still stay in our pajama bottoms. It's great. <laughs> and then we get to actually see each other in October. I'm ecstatic. I can't wait to see you. Great. And Fitz, if something happens and I don't see you there because I'm not there or something, but anyway, good luck in the race. Start slow, finish fast. You know the drill. Um, enjoy the process. And for everybody else who's listening, I you know want to I want to thank the audience for their incredible participation in this. It's been so much fun, but also please go to our website 261fearless.org 
and and really uh, there are there are five bibs out there available and i'd love to see you guys on our team we'd have so much fun and we, we do a lot of personal stuff with the the most passionate happiest team in boston and if you can imagine it you get a full bag of adidas gear tights shoes jacket hat shirt everything um and we we have a good time we treat it we treat you very well that sounds like a good deal. Well, I'm going to share that on my page. I'll share it in, in other avenues for you. And um, yeah, you're doing amazing things and uh, just a pioneer. I'm grateful for you. Thank you. And Fitz, thanks for all you're doing, spreading the word. Everybody stay healthy, stay happy. All right. Take care, Catherine. Bye, everybody. If you haven't done so already, go visit Catherine at 261 Fearless and visit me at fitsness.com and get to work. Bye, y'all. <laughs> Bye-bye.